This is our first session now on Colossians 1, 9-12, and you might well ask, so if it's on Colossians 1, 9-12, why did you include verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 16? And the reason I did is because this entire first session is to grapple with the difficulty of where to draw the line between prayer and theology that follows and the implications of how hard it is to draw that line. And so I wanted you to join me in trying to figure out how to draw the line between where the prayer stops. So, Father, as we, as we talk about talking to you and talking about you, and how the talking to you and the talking about you are so closely related, we can scarcely draw a line between them. Teach us how to pray and how to talk about you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read the whole thing. And my question for you as you watch with me is where would you cut it off? Because I am going to cut it off. I'm not going to deal with all of this in one uh, unit. But I have to make a choice, and I'm not sure where to do it. What do you think? And so from the first day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking. So here begins a prayer, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Now, come a whole series of relative clauses that begin with who, who, in whom, who, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, who delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, and on he goes into the, into the skies of praise and theology about the glories of Jesus Christ, and you wonder, are you still praying? <laughs> and there's no, there's, he never gives us any definite statement. I'm done praying. I'm doing theology now. I'm talking about the doctrine of Jesus. So what, what do we make of this? I, I am going to cut it off right here. That's why I got 12 here. But that's pretty arbitrary because it's right in the middle of a sentence. And these, this sentence goes on and on and on with relative clauses, even though in the English they turn these relative clauses into new sentences. So here's my question. Since Paul bleeds from a clear prayer into something that 
may be a prayer, may not be a prayer. It looks like he's beginning to do Christological, Christ-exalting narrative and study and explanation. What do we make of that? I'm going to make three things out of it. And these are all guesses. And I think they have biblical warrant. And so you join me in testing whether you think these suggestions for why Paul doesn't clearly end his prayer and clearly start a new unit on doctrine. So prayer first, doctrine. Like you pray at the beginning of a sermon, then you do your sermon. Or you pray at the beginning of a lecture, then you do your lecture. And he doesn't seem to do that. He doesn't give us a clue between opening prayer and ongoing doctrine. Why? So here's, I got three suggestions. First, the prayer is based on knowing who God and Christ are and uh, therefore what follows in telling us who God and Christ are is a continuation of the basis of the prayer. So, for example, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You have to know something about the Lord in order to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. you got to know something about this glorious might in order to think of your behavior as according with it, your strength being in accord with the glorious might. you got to know the Lord. you got to know his might. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. So if you're going to give thanks to the Father, you have to know what the Father has done. So my first point is, this prayer is built on the assumption of knowledge, knowledge about the Lord, knowledge about his might, knowledge about the Father and his achievements for us. Don't pray prayers that have no knowledge of God under them, that don't require some knowledge of the God you're praying to, and therefore it perhaps feels natural to Paul that he would flow right into an exposition of the knowledge of God in Christ without any break at all. Here's my second thought about why he would be so unclear about the break between prayer and doctrine. Gloriously unclear. The prayer here is for the knowledge of God. It's not just based on the knowledge of God. He's asking for the knowledge of God, right? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Asking that you would have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's asking for understanding. He's asking for wisdom. He's asking for knowledge. Verse 10, 
or verse, yeah, later on in verse 10. Um, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's asking that we increase in the knowledge of God. So the prayer is not merely, I put these in orange, based on an assumption that we know the Lord, know his might, know the Father. The prayer is crying out for knowledge, wisdom, understanding, knowledge of God. So since the prayer is calling down, God's mercy in revealing himself to us as Paul moves into an exposition of who God is. The knowledge of God is going to be unpacked here. He doesn't need to make any break because it's a continuation of what the prayer is crying out for. Here's my third suggestion. This may be the most important. So just as the the prayer is based on knowing the Father, knowing His might, knowing the Lord. You have to know some things in order to pray with any mean pray with any meaning at all. And just as the prayer is crying out for knowledge and wisdom and understanding and knowledge of God, so just as the prayer is based on and pursuing doctrine, so Paul's doctrine is like prayer. It's prayerful. Here's an example of what I mean over in 2 Corinthians 2.17. We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as from God, before God, we speak in Christ. We're not peddling God's word as though it were just some kind of object that he sent us off with, and he's way back up in the castle, and we're down just dealing. No, he is there. And we are in Christ as we speak. So, as Paul is writing Colossians, this is true. Colossians is written before God. Colossians is written in Christ. What does it mean to speak before God? You may be speaking directly to a person, and so you use the word you to refer to the person rather than you to refer to God. But if you live in the consciousness that you are speaking from God, I think that's a mistake for me to put that there. I left, I meant to Christ that out. From God. You are speaking from Him. That is what you have to say is His Word. And you're speaking before Him and you're speaking in His Son. That's like prayer, isn't it? It's like prayer, at least if it's not. Prayer. So I think the third suggestion for why Paul doesn't give us any sense of breaking off between prayer and doctrine is because he writes his doctrine in prayer. He writes with a keen awareness God is watching, God is listening. I may be speaking directly to you, but I know that God is over me, 
around me, under me, listening to me, helping me, and therefore I am a prayer doctrine writer. One last suggestion. I don't know if you've ever read the Confessions of St. Augustine, great saint from, what, 1600 years ago. And it's a very famous book of his life story. And here's the remarkable thing. Augustine's 300-page long confessions are one long prayer. Every paragraph of the book is directed explicitly to God. It's an amazing read. Why did he do that? My suggestion is that Augustine knew that confessions had several meanings, admit sin, confess a statement of faith, praise God, and he was writing to God, for God, for us. And my suggestion for us is that we pray on the basis of doctrine and for fuller understanding of God, and that we do our theological doctrinal thinking in a spirit of prayer, knowing that God is there listening.